We are actually studying the book of Mark again. So if you guys don't have your Bibles, um, go ahead and grab one off the welcome table if, if you'd like to. We have free Bibles there. I mention that every time I preach. Um, go ahead and grab a, a Bible. But if you would, open up your Bibles or your Bible app um, to Mark. We're going to be in chapter 12 today. We're going to be studying verses 18 to 27. Um, and we're coming closer and closer as we're, as we're reading through the book of Mark. We're coming closer and closer to the end of Jesus' ministry, okay? And we're seeing Jesus being challenged more and more as he gets closer to the end of his ministry. Um, we're going to see this, this opposition grows as, as Jesus' fame grows. Okay? He's, be, he's becoming more and more known. He had his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And so he, he is well known now. He's in Jerusalem, and, and so... The religious groups who are opposed to him, who are trying to destroy him, they are, they are trying to at an ever-increasing rate. And in fact, what we see is that, that even the religious groups who want nothing to do with one another, who are completely opposed to each other, who have completely different views on theology and, and um, you know, the canonization of scriptures that they're using, that are totally opposed to one another, they're uniting to oppose Jesus. They're uniting to, t- to try to take Jesus down. And that's what we're seeing. We s- we've seen that in the last few weeks especially. Um, and so we're going to see the same thing today. They're bringing another challenge to Jesus. They want to tear him down in front, of, in front of the people, right? They want to destroy him in front of the people. So we're going to see another one of these challenges today, like I said. Um, but this, this challenge that comes about today, it's going to bring up a really interesting topic, okay? It's going to be talking about eternity, so, what will eternity be like? It's a, it's a really interesting thing to think about. Um, Jesus, is gonna, he's going to end up sharing a few details about that, okay? Um, but think about that. What, what do you think eternity will be like? This is a, something that, that uh, there's some pretty comical ideas a lot of times. Uh, everybody seems to kind of envision different things, right, of what heaven will be like, um, maybe you envision floating around on clouds with tiny angels playing their harps or something like that, right? The, the typical thing that we, we see in pop culture. Um, or maybe, maybe you're a dog lover and your, your idea of heaven is like this field just full of dogs playing, right? And that's, that's what you, you see heaven as. Um, it could be that. We know there aren't going to be any cats up there because cats are evil. Um, so it, it, could, it could just be dogs. Who knows? They say all dogs go to heaven. But, but we all have kind of a different idea of what eternity looks like, right? What does it look like in heaven? And, and the Bible, you know, we get, we get some ideas, but, but we, we don't give a, a full picture. And it's probably because we couldn't fully understand anyways. Even if, even if God tried to explain it in his word, we would never really fully grasp the glory of heaven, right? But we do know a few things, okay? There are a few things that we do know that are laid out in his word. Uh, we do know that we will all be resurrected. Everybody is going to be resurrected, okay? But Jesus' challengers today don't actually even believe in the resurrection. So as I said, we're going to be starting in verse 18, okay, of, of chapter 12 of Mark. So let's get into it. Then Jesus was approached by some Sadducees, religious leaders who say there is no resurrection from the dead. They pose this question. Teacher, Moses gave us a law that if a man dies, leaving a wife without children, 
His brother should marry the widow and have a child who will carry on the brother's name. Okay, so during Jesus' time, there were, there were different Jewish groups or these different sects, okay, um, of devout Jews and, and leaders that would align themselves with these different groups, okay? And we, so we see, if you guys remember, if you've been here that through most of the study of the book of Mark, most of his encounters end up being with this group called the Pharisees, right? That's what we read the most about. A group who put a lot of their focus on religious tradition and strict adherence to rules that they developed to try to adapt their modern life to the law of Moses. They were really focused on that. Um, there's actually, there's another group, too, that I want to talk about that we don't really see mentioned too much in the New Testament called the Essenes. Now, we know about them because of, of ancient Jewish texts that, that we found. Um, historical evidence for these people exists. Um, but I bet a lot of you have probably heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls, right? The Dead Sea Scrolls um, were the scrolls actually from this group of Jews that were found in the caves at, at Qumran, okay? So that was this group, and the Essenes had pretty much dropped out of public life, okay? They, they were living in these, these tight-knit communities um, during these New Testament times. They were like the, the hippies who want to live in communes, right? That was kind of the Essenes. But here today we see this group called the Sadducees. Um, the Sadducees uh, are, are questioning Jesus in these verses, and they were sort of the, they were like the elite of the elite, okay? They were generally really wealthy from, from priestly families. Um, they, were, they were opposed to the, the, the Pharisees' viewpoints on the extra rules and regulations that they'd implemented. And in fact, they had more of a limited view of Scripture, they, they really only believed in holding to the Torah. The Torah is the first five books of the Bible, for those who don't know. The first five books of the Bible written by Moses. So the Sadducees claimed that those were, those were their only true scriptures. Any, any of the other stuff they, they claimed um, weren't, weren't inspired and, and weren't to be held to. But as we see in, in verse 18 here, we see that they don't even believe in the resurrection of the dead. Okay? They were um, completely, you know, they completely rejected the, the beliefs of the Pharisees, but they were united in the one thing, trying to destroy Jesus' ministry. Okay, that's what the Sadducees are, are about right here. And they had just seen, if you remember last week, they had just seen the Pharisees completely fail in their attempt to uh, challenge Jesus on the topic of taxes. So now the Sadducees, decide it's their turn to step up, right? Now oh, the Pharisees failed. Let's, let's step up now. We, we got this. We're going to take Jesus down. We're going to totally embarrass him in front of all, the, all these people. So here's what, they, here's what they say. They go on to challenge him with this. They say, well, suppose there were seven brothers, the oldest one married, and then died without children. So the second brother married the widow, but he also died without children. Then the third brother married her. This continued with all seven of them. And still there were no children. Last of all, the woman also died. So tell us, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? For all seven were married to her. So obviously, the Sadducees are coming up with this ridiculously extreme example to question Jesus about, right? They're referencing this law 
in Deuteronomy 25 concerning what was called leveret marriage, the purpose of which was to protect widows, okay, and to preserve family lines, which was obviously extremely important for God's chosen people, right? The Jews were God's chosen people. So carrying on their, their lineage and everything, that was really, really important. So that's why this law was in place. But there's also an, an incorrect assumption here, okay? And it's common among Pharisees as well that the afterlife is pretty much just like this life. It's just like an extension of this life, maybe just, maybe just a little better in some way. Um, for some reason, they've missed entirely that the, the heavenly realm is completely different from the earthly realm. But regardless of that, do you think that the Sadducees are asking because they're really curious to find out the answer? Like, are they really curious to find the answer to this question? They're not, are they? No. They don't even believe in the resurrection. So why are they asking about that? They don't even believe in it. Their question may have been more of an attempt to kind of mock the idea of resurrection more than anything. Because in Acts 23.8, we see that the Sadducees say that there's no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Okay? So think about that. The Sadducees not only don't believe in the resurrection, but they don't believe in angels or, or spirits either. They have a very, very narrow view of God and of spiritual things, a narrow view of Scripture even. See, while the, while the Pharisees believed in all the Hebrew Scriptures, the Torah, the prophets, the, the wisdom books, uh, the Sadducees only accepted the Torah, like I mentioned before, the first five books. Um, but really, it seems to me that they're even more selective than that because there are angels mentioned in the Torah. So they don't even really believe in the Scriptures that they claim to believe in. They pick and choose whatever fits into what they want to believe. And do we see the same issue today? I, as, I was, as I was reading this and studying that, I, I, I was just thinking about how often do we see people who claim to be Christian today but deny belief in straightforward biblical truths. The Bible is explicit on so many issues that self-proclaimed Christians today obviously don't follow. It's clear that God has given us direction on how we're to live our lives, right? And how we're supposed to interact with the world around us. Like he's given us that in his word. It's, cl it's clear. But when we read something that we don't agree with or we don't want to agree with, it's, it's pretty common and it's, and it's pretty easy to justify living the way we want to and, and disregarding what it says, Right? One of the scariest things about Christianity in our culture today is the ability for not only the common Christian to pick and choose what they want to follow from God's word, but the Christian leaders that we see who do the same and preach it. It's a frightening thing. Because that's not the option that God's afforded us. That isn't what he's laid out for us. When we put our faith in Jesus and we're adopted into his, into his family, we we're granted the honor to be recognized as children of God. That's a positional thing now. We're, we're actually recognized as his children. So, so tell me, when your parents expressed rules and expectations to you when you were a child, 
did you get to pick and choose which one you liked and which ones you didn't? Like, this is a good one. I'm going to follow this. Not that we didn't break rules all the time, right? But it definitely wasn't acceptable from our parents' point of view, right, for us to pick and choose what we wanted to follow and what we didn't. You didn't get to do that, and you don't expect that of your own children, do you? Because what you understand now and you didn't as a child is that parents know better. And we need to have the same understanding of, the, of God's instructions that he's laid out for us in his word. We need to understand that God knows better than we do. On a much, much greater scale, though, than, than a parent versus a child. I mean, God is the creator of the universe. He has a much greater understanding of what's good for us and what isn't than any of us could even comprehend. This is what it seems the Sadducees are doing, though. They're picking and and choosing what they want to believe, not accepting the whole of Scripture, not even the Scriptures that they claim to to believe in, which is exactly what Jesus' response to them is in regards to. Here's what Jesus says. He replies, Your mistake is that you don't know the Scriptures, and you don't know the power of God. For when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. In this respect... They will be like the angels in heaven. I know this is one of those passages that a lot of people struggle with. I know there's a lot of happily married people here who read this and think, why why wouldn't God allow us to be married in heaven? On the other hand, I know there are some people who couldn't be more comforted by that thought. (laughs) If anyone let out a sigh of relief when I read that, better keep that to yourself. But obviously, God has something much greater in store, okay? Much greater in store for us after the, reg- after the resurrection. Now, marriage is, is an amazing blessing here in, this, in the earthly world, but it pales in comparison to what God has in store for us in the next life, okay? So while, while we may think that we're missing out, if, the, if there's no marriage in heaven that we're missing out, We need to trust what God has promised us. I'm sure our relationships in heaven will be so much more meaningful than any relationship that we have here, including marriage. I also want to be clear that that, that Jesus isn't saying in any way that people become angels. That's totally unbiblical. He's simply saying that we will behave like angels in the respect of, of marriage. Right? Angels are heavenly creatures, totally different from humans. And apparently, they don't marry one another. Okay? So let's just be clear on that one. I know that's a common misconception by people who, who may not know their Bibles very well. But Jesus, he ends up attacking the Sadducees right in the areas that they think they have the most authority in. In scriptural expertise and power. Jesus tells them straight out that not only are they not, authority, not authorities in these areas, but they're completely ignorant in them. The Sadducees' attempt to ridicule Jesus has been turned right back onto them. Now he's embarrassing them, right, in front of the people. And he goes on to explain even further. But now, as to whether the dead will be raised... Haven't you ever read about this in the writings of Moses, in the story of the burning bush? 
Long after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died, God said to Moses, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So he is the God of the living, not the dead. You have made a serious error. So Jesus speaks to a scripture that they claim as authoritative to them, right? This is in the Torah that they believe in. That eliminates any argument from them whatsoever. So God says to Moses, right, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He doesn't say, I was the God of Abraham. It's present tense. He is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Once again, the religious elitists are completely embarrassed in their attempt to humiliate Jesus. They stand as religious leaders and scriptural experts, but have twisted or discarded anything that they chose not to believe in, anything that they didn't fit into what they wanted to believe in. They totally disregarded it. And Jesus does what he is always good at doing at, so good at doing, right? It's directing people to the plain truth that's laid out clearly in God's word. Jesus does this time and time again. He always directs us back to God's word where he's laid out his simple and plain truths. And as Christians, we should be ready and willing to do the same thing. That's why it's crucial for us to be in our Bibles daily. That's why it's so important for us to do that, to be studying and learning. And yeah, coming on Sunday like we are today, and we're, and we're reading through and we're studying this, but man, it needs to go beyond that. Because it's so important for us as Christians to know God's word. And it's also important for us to have the correct attitude and motivation in doing so. Okay? We, we should always seek wisdom and knowledge in, in, in God's word with a spirit of humility. That spirit of humility is important because without the right attitude, it doesn't matter how much biblical knowledge you have. There are Bible experts who clearly have no relationship with Jesus and don't accept the gospel. One definition of humility is to be teachable. To be able to, to, to learn and grow from studying God's word. That, that, that's, that's the attitude that, that we need to have when, when studying God's word. When we, when we come up against something that maybe we don't understand, we should seek to understand it further. When we come up, get, come up against something that, man, we, we don't want to believe in, we don't want to accept, we need to take that to God and help, have him help us to accept that. Seek his help and understanding and accepting that. And I can promise you, the, mo the more that you read your Bible, the more you, you, you seek God and his word, the closer your relationship comes to Jesus. Because every word in there is inspired by God. Every single word. Now let's let God speak for himself and not try to let our own desired beliefs spin things or just disregard altogether what God tells us in his word that we don't like or we struggle to agree with or we struggle to accept. Let God speak for himself. And this should definitely apply to what we believe about eternity. Okay? So what will eternity be like? I said that, that there's not a whole lot that we know about, but... But we can dig in. There's, a, there's quite a few verses that, that mention 
some really crucial things that it's important for us to keep in mind when it comes to eternity and when we think about eternity. Acts 24, 15. I have the same hope in God that these men have, that he will raise both the righteous and the unrighteous. And this is a really important thing to understand, that it's not only the righteous, those who have placed their faith in Jesus, who are resurrected. Everybody will be, including those who don't believe. But what's the difference between those who have put their faith in Jesus and those who haven't? It's not the differences that they, whether they'll be resurrected or not. The difference is where are they going after they're resurrected? Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 and 9. He will come with his mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with eternal destruction, forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. This is talking about Jesus. When Jesus comes again, he's coming to bring judgment on the world. The first time he came to bring the salvation to the world, right? And the second time he comes is to bring judgment on the world. And we're only going to be sentenced to one of two places. It's going to be heaven or hell. For those who reject Jesus in their life, in in this life, those who reject him are going to have their wish forever granted. They will forever suffer eternal separation from him, a final exclusion out of God's kingdom. But those who place their faith in the Lord have a different fate. 1 Corinthians 15, 43 and 44, our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. They are buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. We're promised resurrected bodies that are strong and glorious, it says here. Spiritual bodies that will never decay or die. Bodies that are made for the eternal existence in the presence of God. Jesus promised that we would all be resurrected to a glorious eternal existence, and he proved it. He proved it by resurrecting himself. He demonstrated his victory over sin and over death when he suffered and died on the cross, paying the penalty for our sins, and then rising again the third day. He paved that way for us. He broke that barrier, that that path for us forward into eternity with God. And then he rose in this resurrected body to display his promise of eternal life to us. And this promise is available to everyone who puts their faith and their trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. In John 11, we read about Jesus. Um, this, is the, this is where he raises Lazarus from the dead. Jesus tells her, I am the resurrection and the life. Lazarus' sister here that he's talking to. I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. 
Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? He makes this powerful statement after raising Lazarus from the dead. Clearly stating the gospel here. He is the resurrection. Only in Jesus can we find eternal life. He is the narrow gate. It's that simple. It is that simple, and yet it's so difficult for unbelievers to accept that there's one way to eternal life. It it is simple. But for those who don't believe, it's, it's difficult. That's why we need to pray for those who have ears that can't hear, that can't hear, ears that can't hear and eyes that can't see. We need to pray for those people. Jesus is our Savior and our promise of eternal life. It's all about Jesus. He did all the work for us, suffered everything that we deserve to suffer so that we could be with him in eternity. And I just want to say that if you haven't put your faith in Jesus yet, if you haven't trusted in him for salvation, please continue to seek the truth. And please continue to, to talk to maybe who, those you came with today. Please come talk to me. Come talk to one of our leaders because we, we want more than anything to help you make the most important decision that you can make in this life. The most important decision. Because this life we know is temporary. And so for those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus, that gives us a great hope. Especially like we prayed earlier for some of the the horrific things that are going on in our world. This broken, messed up, fallen world. We have hope in in an eternal world, in an eternal existence with God where all of those things are going to be gone. Where there will be no more... No more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain. All that will be wiped away. We have that hope. But for those who don't know Jesus, they don't have that hope. They don't have that joy that transcends, any, transcends anything that they are going through. So pray for them. Continue to share truth and love with those people. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for what you have revealed to us in your word We're grateful for the hope that's in you, the hope that can only be found in you. Lord, there's hope in in nothing else here that we, we have in this world. People can look to so many different things for hope, for self help books and so many secular ideas of things that can give us joy in this world, but really, true joy can never be found in, in anything in this world. True joy is only found in you. Because there's a peace that comes from knowing that we are not responsible for our own salvation. That we cannot earn our salvation, Lord. But you did it. You did the work for us out of your love for us. You made the way for us to spend eternity with you people that are so undeserving of you, people who are so rebellious towards you, Lord, you you chose to rescue us. Lord, I pray that we would always, always reflect on that, on your love for us that we can't even understand. It is so great that you would save rebels like us. 
people who put you on a cross to die, Lord, that you, <laughs> you died for each one of them, each one of us. So many of us are, are no better. Lord, we've rebelled, we've rejected you in so many different ways. We've failed to hold your banner up, Lord, in, in the ways that we live our lives. Lord, I pray that we would, we would take that, that banner and, and raise it high going forward. Lord, we would, we would not hide from our responsibility of, of sharing you with the world, of sharing your gospel with the world, Lord. That's what you've called us to do as your church, to be that, that light to the world that is in such desperate need of it. Lord, give us the, the strength and the wisdom to do that. Lord, be with, with us throughout this week um, that we would truly love the people around us, especially those that don't know you, that we wouldn't reject them the same way you don't reject them, Lord, that we would love them and, and share your truth with them, and most especially to pray for them, Lord. We lift all these things up to you. We love you and thank you and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.